It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the show? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes May 10th. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. ever filed a missing persons report for like an entire football team like a picture of milk carton big enough to put the entire team photo of Alabama football on and I just want to ask where are they what happened to this team I watched someone play South Florida yesterday I don't know if it was Nick Saban's Alabama yeah late kick is live it is Sunday night September 17th the year of our Lord 2023 jam-packed high atop a competitively balanced downtown Nashville Tennessee I'll talk about whatever in the world happened in Tampa yesterday. I'll talk about what happened in Boulder, Colorado yesterday. Every celebrity was there, so you could probably watch any of a number of shows and listen to what happened with Colorado, Colorado State. If I know you like I think I do, you stayed up late to watch that, didn't you? I got Florida, Tennessee reaction. I mean, I got LSU to talk about. I got Georgia to talk about. I got Washington. Does the JP poll have a Washington problem? That combination of words, I never expected to come out of my mouth, but yeah. All that, plus your boy here was part of yet another field storming yesterday, our seventh field storming in three years, a record that I'm very proud of. So we've got a jam-packed show. Sunday night is reaction night here, and I think there are probably a disproportionate amount of uncomfortable truths that we'll have to discuss, just you and I amongst ourselves tonight. And it's going to be viewed by some who don't know the show any better as a hot take. It's not that. This stuff's at least well marinated on, if not well thought out. So I just want you to brace yourselves. If you are in a car and you're listening to the podcast, buckle up. Should have been already, but if you're not, buckle up. I'm I'm waving my papers wildly at the camera right now. That should let you know how fired up I am. They're watching us in Clearfield, Pennsylvania, Valdosta, Georgia, Bozeman, Montana, Temple, Texas. A little over 24 hours ago, I was in a sea of humanity in Columbia, Missouri. I'm going to talk about that. I've got video from the field storming. We have got so much to get into. I saw a 61-yard field goal yesterday. How about that? Whomst have thunk it, right? If you missed any of that, you got to make sure you're following on Instagram, at Late Kick Josh. It's a real, real fun Saturday over there, and we've got some good stuff during the week, too. But that's not where I'm going to start. I try and pop my knuckles sometimes, but it never works like I want it to in the microphone. But man, so Alabama won a football game yesterday, 17-3. to Congratulations to the Tide. Um, I know most of you, if you didn't start watching that game, you eventually found yourself watching that game on what the casuals told you would be a dud Saturday. We got Bama up against the wall. We got uh, Texas tied with Wyoming in the fourth quarter. We got couple of field stormings nationally. Never let the casuals fool you into thinking it's going to be a dull Saturday. Never happens that way, does it? Never turns out that way. So it certainly didn't hear Alabama's inexplicably playing an out-of-conference game in Tampa, Florida. Last time they were in that building, I was there, but it was a little higher stakes matchup. It was against Clemson for a national championship. And so 
We watched what we saw yesterday. Now, what did you take away from this game? Very curious what the nation thought. I know you thought Bama looked terrible. Everyone thought that. I want to know, though, like if you peel back the layer, so look beneath the surface, what did you think about this? Because the more I got into watching it, the more I found myself thinking, that's the most disturbing game I've ever seen Alabama play under Nick Saban. You may think to yourself, Josh, in 2007, weren't they pretty bad? Well, yeah, they went 7-6. and six. They had a, a bunch of one-possession losses, as I recall. But that wasn't disturbing. No one expected them to compete under Nick Saban in year one. In fact, it was all about flushing out the program. It was all about getting rid of the guys who didn't need to be there. It was about getting Nick Saban's guys in. Everyone was looking forward to the Julio Jones, uh, Marcel Darius, Mark Barron recruiting class that was incoming. So no one was deterred. Even when they lost to Louisiana Monroe, I thought the following Monday Saban had like his best press conference he's ever had there. There was eternal optimism even in that year one when things were bad. That stuff yesterday, for lack of a much more appropriate term, because it is, after all, a family show, was so totally disturbing. Not because it was a close game against a vastly inferior opponent, but because of how effortless the game was, how lifeless the team looked. And I, you know, I, I thought I saw what I saw, but then a bunch of coaches started texting me afterwards and kind of independently confirmed what my feel was. I don't feel like a critical mass of Alabama's team gave max effort yesterday. I thought dudes flat out mailed in the game. I'm not talking about collectively because there were individual performances and there were individual guys that were willing to go over the cliff. Uh, but it takes, it takes a lot more than just individuals. You got really, really high-level, all-American caliber individuals that will play on seven and five teams this year. So it takes way more than that. I could find you like two dozen teams yesterday that played at a higher level and played with more effort than Alabama. Now, the problem for most of them is they're not as talented as Alabama. And the problem for Alabama is they're talented enough to get by doing that. Uh, but I, I told you uh, during the spring with this quarterback battle, and I reiterated it again in the fall with the quarterback battle, the same way I do with all quarterback battles. And that's the locker room's going to tell you who QB1 is on your team. The locker room ended up gravitating towards Jalen Milrow on this team. That doesn't mean the locker room views him as being without fault. I don't know that everyone in that locker room is in love with Jalen Milrow, but they probably view him as the guy that gives them the best chance to win. The staff started him in week one. Things were great. Things were good enough. The staff started him against Texas. He was deer in headlights. I thought that was also combined with a very, very poor game plan that was put together that did not feature his strengths. He got benched, and Tyler Buckner, Notre Dame transfer, started this game. Uh, some of the worst quarterback play you'll ever see in a crimson or white uniform. And then Ty Simpson comes in. And, and while there were flashes and probably not a fair position for him to be in, I think it made it abundantly clear Jalen Milrow actually does give this team the best chance to win. But here was the other thing you saw. You saw what the team thought about it. It's not the first time you've ever seen it. It's just the first time you've ever seen it with Bama. When a guy gets put under center, when a guy gets put at the quarterback position that a critical mass of that locker room does not agree with, they'll let you know with their effort and with their level of play. And the level of play you saw from Bama yesterday is so far below what they would call the Bama standard, I don't even know what to make of it. Like, look, we got a computer model where we try and ingest the numbers and the critical data from games and we try and formulate a forward-thinking, advanced-looking number on future games. I don't even know how to interpret what we saw yesterday because the thing about it is when you 
have a team that lacks intensity and they lack effort, no amount of talent matters. There is no bottom, like there's no floor to limit how far you can fall and how decrepitly bad you can look. Never used the word decrepit on the show before, but here it is. That's where we are with Alabama football in week three. They, uh, I mean, look, these aren't padlock stats because they won the game, but they gave up five sacks again. Uh, Yeah, if you want me to take this moment in time to admit I may, may have been a little bit wrong, just a little bit misguided regarding Alabama's offensive line. If you'd like me to do that tonight, listen up, quiet the room. I may have been wrong about Alabama's offensive line. If you know anything about me, you know how difficult this is to admit in September. They gave up five sacks. That makes back-to-back games. Never happened before under Nick Saban, I don't think. Eight tackles for loss yesterday. It should be stressed. This one's against South Florida. Uh, 107 pass yards, anemic. This is not the metric system, by the way. This is just actual stats from the stat sheet. Five straight punts to start the game. And then there was a lightning delay as is customary in the state of Florida. So I um, probably got a hundred texts if I got one that said after the game, oh boy, Ole Miss is about to go in there and beat them. Well, here's what's about to happen. Jalen Milrow will inevitably start. I am fully convinced he was suspended yesterday, by the way. Uh, That's why I don't think he played. That won't be announced. That'll never be confirmed. I think he was suspended and I'm not alone in that. Anyway, Jalen Milrow will probably start against Ole Miss. Their defense is quietly a great story. It better be because they can't score right now to save their lives. I think Milrow will start Saturday. I think in turn, you'll see an inspired effort from their team. And maybe it's a trigger point for them. I don't know. But my bigger question is not, will we see much better effort from them Saturday? I'm sure we will. My question is, what does that look like? Like, what is the ceiling for Alabama? What's the max potential for Alabama in 2023? Certainly, probably well below that which people like me expected. But then again, you look around the rest of the country, where are the elite teams? Uh, Hey, by the way, there may be elite teams out there. Maybe it's just not the ones that anyone had in their preseason top five. And that includes me. I didn't have Washington in my preseason top five. I didn't have Oklahoma or Notre Dame up there. And I'm not saying they're elite. I'm just saying maybe those end up being the candidates. Or maybe those end up being the candidates for the best teams in a season that's just filled with a bunch of very good teams and no elite teams. Be that as it may, my point there is, believe it or not, all hope is still not lost for this team. All hope is still not lost. We, I I get tired of saying this because it sounds so redundant, but we see every year there are teams that are left for dead, talented teams, in September, and then all of a sudden, Whichever combination the dominoes need to be put in to click, it happens, and there are certain events that happen, and sometimes those events are really ugly. I think one may have happened for Georgia yesterday, by the way. Sometimes those events in the moment are very uncomfortable, they're very ugly, but for whatever reason, that's, that's the snap moment, that's, that's the trigger moment. And then you find yourself in November looking back saying, wow, can you believe this? This is the same team that looked like that in week one or week two? Happens every year. It could easily happen with Alabama. The reason that it's so hard to see is because no one has the magic eight ball. Wilfong has one for recruiting, but even Wilfong, even Uncle Steve doesn't have one for actual on-field matters. So I don't know if what happened yesterday is an impetus for anything. 
I don't know if Jalen Milrow being inserted, and I assume he will be, back into the lineup on Saturday is an impetus for anything. I've got a sneaking suspicion it is. Alabama opened as about a six to seven point favorite over Ole Miss. I imagine odds makers will drown in Ole Miss money. And um, on a related note, shame on Lane Kiffin for the backdoor cover against Georgia Tech last night. Didn't need to do that. Derailed the Ramen Noodle Express. And we'll deal with that later. It's okay. I'm not mad. I'm more disappointed than mad. But yeah, conference play is here. There's no more time to experiment. This is it. And um, I have no earthly idea how it's going to turn out. So there you go. Next up, what time did this game start, Jesse? Like 9 or 10 Eastern last night? So Colorado beat Colorado State. I think that's what most people expected themselves to be saying. But, friends, where were you? Where were you when Colorado completed the fifth largest fourth quarter comeback in program history? I was in the St. Louis Airport Marriott, for example. But where were you? And what's so crazy is pretty much everyone will be able to tell me a month or a year from now, where they were when they watched this. Because literally everyone watched it. At least you watched the first part of the game. Now, I know some of you have bedtimes, and some of you shirked those bedtimes last night, but man, what a, what a revolution we've seen in college football viewership, coverage, conversation, etc. No one thought they'd be talking about this stuff. Uh, Colorado, yesterday, had a fight taken to them that they probably weren't ready for. I think most people didn't expect it. But they scored on one of their first 10 drives. And then you want the paper popper. You want the padlock stat. Then they scored in five of their final six drives. Shadur Sanders is a star in college football right now. Shadur Sanders is putting up numbers that would make him a star if he were Shador Thomas or Shador Simpson or Shador Myers. It's not a Sanders thing. It's a playmaker thing. Uh, the secret's out on them. No, People know they can't run the ball. It's all on him. And all he's done so far is he's gone up and put up 400 a game. Uh, he's got 10 touchdowns, one interception. He's a 79% completion guy. 98-yard touchdown drive when they needed it the most last night. And in the midst of all of it, I'm having a conversation, FaceTime no less, with a dear friend of the program. We'll leave it at that. And this person tells me, Oh, this is not college football. The way Dion carries himself, the showmanship, the selfishness, this person's words, not mine, that is not college football. And so I reply to said person calmly, respectfully, as you would expect from me. I said, what is college football? Very interesting. A lot of people have this take. A lot of people have this take that, oh, Dion, what he's doing, that's not college football. You know what? Scratch that. A lot of people don't have the take. Some people have the take that, oh, Dion, his attitude, his approach to the sport, the showmanship, that's not college football. So I ask those kinds of folks, well, what is college football? Define it for me. I thought I had a pretty good idea, but apparently I don't know. I only cover the sport year round. So what is college football? And so I ask someone yesterday and they say, well, college football's coaching. It's grinding. It's hard work. It's X's and O's. College football is the players. College football is tradition. College football is not this. And so you know what I did yesterday? I just happened to flip on Cal's game for a second. I turned on Cal and it's five minutes until kickoff. And someone posted on Twitter, you know, they do that panorama of the stadium and it's like one eighth of the way full. And the thing about it is Cal's got some good coaches. 
Cal's got X's and O's. Cal's got tradition. They got Aaron Rodgers formerly played there. Tony Gonzalez played there. Uh, Marshawn Lynch. They've got guys who have come through there. Why is that place an afterthought? They got all the things that you claim make up college football. Why is it an afterthought? The reason is because this is not the college football business. I've said this before. I have had this conversation with coaches. Some of them have agreed with me. Others have disagreed with me when I've asked them, what business do you think you're in? And they'll say, I'm in the coaching business. Some of them will. And I'll say, no, you are a coach. But what business are you in? What industry are you in? You're in the entertainment industry. There are some people who, who gravitate towards that and they embrace it. But there are others, both coaches and fans, who scoff at that notion. And I'm like, why? Why do you resist it? It's very obvious. Coaches do not make $8 million a year because of their X's and O's acumen. Because no one fills a stadium because of X's and O's. They fill it because they're entertained by what it produces. There's a lot of strategy in lacrosse. They don't fill stadiums like they do in football to watch that. Equestrian is a finely tuned competition that is really fascinating to watch but not watched by 100,000 people. And the reason is because it's not as entertaining as football is. Deion Sanders just gets that more than most people because he himself is a showman. But the thing about it is, and I think the closer you got to that program, the more you'd find this out, there's like this barrier. It's more like a mesh fence because one side can see the other. There's this mesh fence, and on one side is Deion Sanders behind the scenes running University of Colorado football program, and then there's the other one, and that guy is Coach Prime, and that's the guy you see when the red light comes on because he understands this is about X's and O's. It is about recruiting. It is about relationships. It's about developing. It's about execution, but you know what else it's about? It's about promotion. It's about marketing. It's about presentation. It is about showmanship. It is about that, especially at Colorado. Now, if Deion Sanders was the head coach at Ohio State, some of that would take care of itself because that Ohio State brand markets itself. You don't have to do it. But at Colorado, the situation he took over, you do have to do it. I can't even imagine the infrastructure and logistics that have to be in place right now to handle the load that they had to handle yesterday and to handle the influx of everything from credential requests to interview requests. You cannot begin to imagine what kind of heat-seeking position that is at the University of Colorado right now. I'm not familiar with those folks, and yet I still tip my cap to them because um, I, don't, I don't care how ready they thought they were. They were not ready for this. This is not a wave. It's a tsunami. It's a great one, but it's a tsunami in Boulder, Colorado, no less. How about that? You never thought you'd be in tsunami warning conditions there, but even there, it can find you. Dion gets it. This is the entertainment business. There's football at the core of it, but it's the entertainment business. Uh, there's also bad news. And the bad news is there is a tax that comes along with Deion Sanders being in your sport. It's called the Deion tax. And the Deion tax is casuals care too. Casuals are attracted to this too. Drive-by fans are attracted to it. And the, and the drive-by casual has a couple of things in common. Number one, they hardly know anything about the sport. Number two, they're the first to mouth off about the sport. And therefore, you will get the wildest, most outlandish, off-the-wall, window-licking, stupid takes that you will ever hear in your life from the drive-by casual crowd about Colorado. They know nothing about the sport. Normally, the only time you hear from these folks is NFL draft time. 
when people who watch college football for about two weeks out of the year start to pontificate and mouth off about our sport. Well, the, the one bit of bad news, the Dion tax, if you will, is the folks you normally only have to hear from during NFL draft time, they're here now. And they want to talk to you about Colorado football. And then eventually, they're going to want to talk to you about the Pac-12 and the Big 12. And then, lo and behold, they're going to have takes on conference championship races. And then they're going to be right there in the thick of college football playoff talk. And if you disagree with them, you get labeled. That's the Dion tax. I'd, I would never apologize for it if I were him. I'm just telling you, it's here. It, here. Here's what it is. It's basically how soccer fans view people like me when the World Cup comes around. Because they know that's the only time I'm going to watch soccer. And I do have an opinion or two. Now, I largely try and keep it to myself. But I do have an opinion or two on soccer. Mainly, I see why the sport's not for me. I don't, I don't bemoan it. Like I, I, I respect your passion for it. But I find out why soccer is not for me when I watch the World Cup. But I still watch the World Cup. It's very, very entertaining, very fascinating to me. Uh, we've got like the World Cup of college football happening right now, and we got those sorts of folks being attracted to our sport by Deion Sanders. So there is one downside to this, but there are infinite amounts of upside to it. And the other thing is, for all these folks talking about how terrible the opening month, or at least the opening three weeks of the college football schedule was, he saved you. Deion saved you. He's given you something to talk about. Pure Bonnie Raitt style. He gave you something to talk about. Now, this week, you don't need it. Although he'll be right in the thick of it again when they go to Oregon, you don't need it. Like, we, we got Notre Dame, Ohio State. We got FSU, Clemson this week. We got all kinds of big-time matchups. But he's here to stay. That brand, that name's here to stay because they are sitting here 3-0. and And they are, I heard someone say this yesterday, and they were dead on the money. They are the story of football, not just college. Colorado is the story of the sport of football right now, and that's even after Roger Goodell's big bad NFL has taken the field. So I salute, I clap, I accept the Dion tax that comes along with it. They've got Oregon this week on the road. Then they've got Southern Cal next week at home, and then they go to Arizona State, and boy, Boy, do I have something for you later with Arizona State. Whew. But anyway, congrats to Deion in Colorado. 43-35 the final in overtime. They are now 3-0. and The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meats. I promised you some things last week. I promised you that we were opening two brand new Academy Sports and Outdoors. One of them has opened in Brenham, Texas. We had several of you go. We had several of you provide me evidence 
that you win. Uh, Mr. Cawthorn on Twitter just a little while ago provided me photographic evidence of his receipt, and he is receiving a chalice of supremacy as a result. We got one opening this week in Kyle, Texas. So anyone, five of you actually, who get there and prove to me that you were there, picture of receipt is fine. Picture of yourself in the parking lot is fine. This right here, if you're watching on YouTube, this is what this is what he happened to send in to me. Uh, that's all it takes. Encircled Brenham, Texas right there. Chalice of Supremacy on the way. So why is this important for those of you who may be listening for the first time? Well, it's important because Academy Sports and Outdoors makes our show available to you free of charge. It's called a sponsor. It's called a partner. And we have one on this show, and it's Academy. And the reason why we don't have to have 14 plastered all over the place is because they take care of us. And we appreciate that. They'll take care of you, too. All you got to do is darken the door of one of their in-person locations or hit up academy.com. They will take care of all your tailgating needs. They will take care of all your grilling needs or biking needs or camping needs or fall baseball needs or seven-on-seven flag football needs. They got you covered. And they got us covered, and they bring us to you free of charge. We appreciate Academy. If you can't get there in person, academy.com. A big crowd tuned in. Thank you so much for that. If you haven't already, and a lot of you haven't, just click the thumbs up button because we got like 6,000 of you in here and less than 1,000 of you have liked it. Those are poverty numbers. We can do so much better than that. All right, let's move on. Uh, we are, we're 23 minutes in. I have not taken a sip from the chalice. It's a pretty good record, but we're going to break it right now. Oh, boy. One of the people who got referenced in the show earlier is texting pretty mad at the moment. We'll handle that later. Okay, so Florida beat Tennessee 29-16. to <clears throat> Now, as you know, I don't ask for much in life. I just want all the credit with none of the blame. Pretty simple, straightforward. I had... The other day, after predicting this game, accurately, might I add, I had someone come at me, and they respectfully said, you're crazy. And their quote, and I wrote it down, was, there is no way the Florida team that lost to Utah will beat Tennessee. And I said, I agree with you. And they said, what are you talking about? You just predicted Florida to win the game. And I said, I sure did. What's your point? And they said, didn't you hear what I said? I said, no way the Florida team that lost to Utah is going to beat Tennessee. And I said, I, I know. I just said I agree with you. He said, but you're speaking out of both sides of your mouth. And I said, no, I'm not. I'm not at all. I just don't expect the Florida team that lost to Utah to be the one that plays Tennessee this upcoming Saturday. This situation was ripe for an upset to happen. But it's one thing, like some of you choose to do, and that is to come on my channel after the games have happened and run your mouth in the comment section. I don't mind if you do that as long as you were on the record beforehand. If you weren't on the record beforehand, I don't even bother reading it. Why would that alarm be going off? What would I have to do during my own show? Oh, I'll tell you what that is. I got to do a radio hit with Canel in the morning at 7.30, and I accidentally set the alarm for PM, also the wrong day. So we whiffed over two on that. Anyway, back to my point. You know what? Forget the point. Colin, we got the shot. Three, two, one, roll it. I don't think Tennessee's the team America thinks they are. What if I told you Tennessee has only put up two pass plays of over 20 yards. What if Florida just stones Tennessee early? What if they're getting some, some obvious passing down third and longs and they're forcing Joe Milton to throw into the teeth of that defense? I'd take 150 on the ground if it's complimentary and Florida plays good ball. I'm just saying negate the stuff that assisted in you shooting your own self in the foot in week one. 
And you got a game on your hands here. We're going to see an inspired performance from Florida Saturday. Somehow, some way, Florida's going to find a way to turn this into a hammer fight. And not only am I going to take them to cover, I think Florida's going to find a way somehow to pull the upset. You see that? Over on Swamp 24-7, you see that? Uh, against Utah, 21 carries for 13 yards. Abysmal. I was there. I stood on the field and watched it. Next week against McNeese State, 51 carries. They ran it for half a mile, 327 yards. Mathematically, it doesn't work out, but follow me here. And so we were wondering which Florida shows up. I tended to think they'd have a little more success running the ball than they did against Florida. I said I'd take 150. Well, they put 183 up and three touchdowns. Trevor Etienne, 25 carries, 172 yards, one touchdown. Graham Mertz was really good. Like, if you listen to this, okay, listen to these two stat lines. Neither one of them are program records. Neither one of them are going to land you on the helmet sticker of the week segments. But if you give me Etienne carrying it for 172, actually, that is a career kind of day. And you give me Graham Mertz, 19 of 24 for 166 and a touchdown and another one on the ground, I believe. That is plenty good enough when you've got Austin Armstrong's defense playing like they did yesterday to compete in and possibly win every game Florida plays. Now, as you know, someone just heard me say something I didn't say. Someone just heard me say Florida will win every game they play the rest of the way. No, I didn't. I said this caliber of game, if they can bottle that up and they can take it not only in their backyard, but also on the road, they can win every game they play. You don't think they can compete against Georgia playing the way they did yesterday? I do. I, they're not a better team than Georgia. That effort will give me a ball game against Georgia. That effort will let you go into LSU and have a shot. That effort against Florida State, and yes, they do play all these teams, friends. That effort will give you a shot against anyone you play. As for Tennessee, I'm going to circle back to Florida in a second. As for Tennessee, this was the third lowest scoring output they've had under Josh Heupel. They had three explosive pass plays after having two the entire season leading up to this one. So basically, you got a lot more of what you had already had. I'd say coming into the game, I'll say it once more because I think people know it now, I just think America had not watched Tennessee. But you saw him put up half a hundo on Virginia, and so you assumed they were just bombing away on teams, and they weren't. They have not thrown the ball effectively all year. They didn't throw the ball effectively in this game. There were flashes. There were moments. But overall, it looked kind of discombobulated. They've, they've got to run the ball to win the game. And they couldn't do it effectively enough last night. They had uh, 3.7 yards per carry. They had 10 penalties for 79 yards. That, that's the road. That's the road at play there. They were 0 of 3 on fourth downs. Like the Swamp, man, incredibly incredibly tough place to go into. And then when you combine that with the fact that the home team there was in, really it was in desperation must-win mode. That's how they played. That's how I expected them to play. So it just goes to show you again, Meemaw was right. Meemaw was always right. Meemaw always will be right when she said, wise men make observations in week one. Foolish men draw conclusions. We watched Tennessee run it up on Virginia in week one. We watched Florida suck water through a garden hose against Utah in week one. And the same teams you watched meet two weeks later, and what happens? There you go. That's college football. That's why you just observe things in week one. We get 12 versions of a team throughout the year. 12 versions. You don't get the first week repeated 12 times. Swamp looked really good last night. 
they um, ESPN did did a great service to Florida recruiting by the way they featured the the stadium vibe and the in-game vibe last night. That was a big one for Billy Napier. Trust me, that was a big recruiting night for them. They had to have it. Huge rivalry game. You got a streak that you're running up against Tennessee. You don't want to be the guy who drops the ball, and you didn't. And now all of a sudden, you know, all seemed lost in week one. That's not even a conference game. Last night's a conference game. So there you go. You're, you're 1-0 in conference play. They've got Charlotte this week, and then they go to Kentucky, Vanderbilt, at South Carolina. I know what Florida fans are thinking. You're thinking one, two, three, four, five. We should be 6-0 going into the bye week. 6-1 and one, going into the bye week, and they very well could be. And then you got Georgia. <sighs> okay. So now that we've at least balanced the scales a little bit, it sounded like I was hating on Tennessee there. I wasn't. I, I should put this on the record. I owe this to Director Colin. So I don't know if I told you this, Colin. There were two people. Neither of them were direct Colin. There were two people that got just a little bit obnoxious in my DMs last week, both Tennessee fans. And I handled myself with lowercase grace, as I call it, never even dignified them with capitalizing any of my letters. And I just said, oh, okay, we'll see. I never responded in more than two or three words, mainly emojis. And they kept on going, kept on going, kept on going. And I, I looked for them last night. I didn't even get so much as a cricket emoji from them. There were ghosts. It is wild how many people disappear on Saturday nights in college football season. It's a total epidemic. And I don't know what the solution is. Actually, I do know what the solution is. Just kind of keep your mouth shut. It's so simple. It's so easy. And I say that behind a microphone. But at least I'm here. At least I own it when I'm wrong. Because we have some very painful moments coming up later in the show where I will have to admit just that. It's not the worst thing in the world. It's not, but because of that, I may have gotten a little forceful in my prediction of Florida to beat Tennessee. It's nothing against Tennessee, nothing against Josh Heupel. I'll, I'll text Bill Martin later and apologize if I need to, but yeah, so I, I will make amends in some other way. Maybe I'll donate like $50 to the NIL fund over there. Someone call Grant. I'll, I'll, I'll get with him later. All right. Um, it was a good day yesterday. This is turning the chapter, turning the page now, new chapter. Big day yesterday. Missouri beat Kansas State 30-27, to but we were there. The Once Upon a Saturday tour was on the road, and we were up there at Ferrofield for the first time ever, never been to a game there. It's a, such a beautiful thing when Saturday gets here, you know, because Sunday through Friday, everybody talks, myself included. But really, it matters, but it doesn't matter. Because as long as you have to play the game, I'm for unlimited amounts of talking. What I'm not for is the whole, who would win, 2019 LSU or 2020 Alabama. I never take part in that because it's dumb, because you'll never get an answer. But it doesn't matter how many people pick Kansas State to win this game. As long as the game was going to happen, I was cool with it. So I'm up there. Uncle Dennis was there. And he and I are on CBS Sports HQ pregame, and we're talking, and we're, we're both picking Kansas State. I, on the show last week, I picked Kansas State. Remember when I told you I was going to have to swallow a few bitter pills on this show? Well, here's one of them. And I said something to the effect of, I don't know where the edges are from Missouri. Well, they have a kid named Luther Burden, obviously, 
and uh, he was a non-factor last year's game. Seven catches for 114 yards and two touchdowns yesterday. Much bigger factor. But Brady Cook, man, I was talking to some, some folks on the Kansas State staff, and, I mean, they were worried about him coming into the pregame, and they said, real dual-threat guy. Like, we, we really respect his running ability. But, man, even through the air yesterday, 23 of 35, 356, two touchdowns, career day for him. Drinkwit said the home crowd booed him at one point. I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm saying I was on the field for the entire game and I didn't hear it. Maybe I was tuned out. I don't know. But uh, they weren't booing him at the end. I promise you that. But that's not really what I want to talk to you about. I want to give Missouri all the credit in the world. They found a way to win. And there was never a two-possession lead either way in this game. It was a great game. Like, we absolutely chose the right place to be. We could have been in Starkville. Blowout. We could have been at Illinois. Penn State ended up running away with that one. I'm very happy with the choice we made. But let me walk you through the sequence. So I always love to take you guys as much in-depth on what we see on the road as possible. Uh, follow me on Instagram for more, at Late Kick Josh. Those Instagram stories can get pretty wild on Saturday. So here's the scene. I'm going to show you video in a second, but here's the scene. The game kicks off at 11 a.m. I have a 5.45 flight out of St. Louis. Columbia is an hour and 40 minutes west of St. Louis. It's going to be really, really cutting it close. So we start getting a fast-paced game, and I'm excited. It's back and forth. It's not a blowout, but it's a fast-paced game. We get to halftime well before the other noon Eastern time kickoffs get to halftime. Third quarter, it goes by pretty fast. Fourth quarter, snail's pace, ugly snail. Could not go any slower. And so I'm starting to lose hope, but I've, I've still got an outside shot. Plus, it's not like it's a 100,000-seat stadium, right? So traffic should disperse fairly quickly, not to mention we have to stay behind a new post game for CBS anyway, so that normally gives traffic a little time to die down. Then we're tied with a minute to go. And I'm thinking to myself, overtime is a legit possibility here. And Missouri's got the ball, and they get out towards midfield, and then they, they cross midfield, but I'm thinking to myself, they're not in field goal range yet. And then they, they have that delay of game, and I'm thinking, well, certainly they're not in field goal range. And I'm standing, uh, Coach Quinn is standing next to me, and I'm telling her we're going to have to rebook travel. And I look up, and they're lining up for a field goal. And there's already been one that's been returned because it was short earlier in the game. And sure enough, K-State's got a guy standing under the upright. And they kick a 61-yard walk-off field goal. Colin, we've got the video. We can roll it. I had the eye josh out, and I was dutifully shooting for you guys. This right here is wild. This is our seventh field storming. And if you're listening on podcast, just imagine everybody on the front row of the student section leaned forward. Their knees are up on the, the guardrails. And as soon as that thing goes through with about one yard to spare, here we go. And we're off. There's nothing like this. You don't get this in the NFL. I don't know what happens overseas. I never watch international sporting events. Uh, certainly Dodgers Padres does not deliver this. But there we go. We're out there. We're, we're getting paint state materials thrown at us left and right, verbally, of course. And here's the thing about being in a field storming. It was drizzling yesterday. Uh, temperatures upper 60s, low 70s. But when you get in the middle of it, it feels like it's 100 degrees. Like the body heat theory is real. The body heat theory is very real. I think possibly immunity on that. I don't know. But this was really fun to witness. And that's my first time up there. It reminded me of the Baylor game a couple years ago when we went there. And it was our first time there. And they beat Oklahoma 
Field storming, 11 a.m. kickoff there as well. They served breakfast in the press box yesterday. They served breakfast in the press box that day. What more could you possibly need? Harrison Mevis, the kicker, by the way, I'm out on the field post game, and his family was on the field waiting for him. And I, I guess it was his mom. She was on the phone calling up family members, making sure they had watched. It was a great time, really great time. Now, here's what I'm curious about. How will Missouri handle this? Colin, you have their schedule by any chance? Missouri, I know that they go to St. Louis, I think, for a neutral site game this week. And um, the talk on the field afterwards was not about this Memphis game coming up Saturday. And it was not about a trip to Vanderbilt in two weeks. Uh Uh-uh. They were focused on LSU. That's their next home game. LSU comes in there October 7th. Great. And that may be the next time most of the country sees you. Got to lock in. Eli Drinkwitz and company up there, got to lock in. Can't be overlooking anyone. Kansas State, just as for them, I said on the postgame show we did on CBS yesterday, and I'll say it here, I find it very hard to knock them. They just played a really good football game. They, they played a team that was up to face them, and also it's not a conference game. And also, also, they exist in a conference where teams lost to Ohio, Miami of Ohio, and South Alabama yesterday. All hope is not lost for Kansas State. Plus, didn't they lose some random game last year, Jesse? Who'd they lose to last year? Wasn't it, was it Tulane? It's not a random game. But they, they had this happen to them last year, and they're fine. They will be fine. So good game, really good game to watch. I hope you guys were able to catch it. And um, two thumbs up for our trip to Missouri. Would visit again. Which begs the question, of course, where are we going this week? This week's loaded. This week... This week, there are like five choices that, that would probably win on most other weeks, but we have to nail down one. And so I'm thinking to myself, where's a place we haven't been in a while? Uh, where can we see two teams we haven't seen this year? Where do we think a really tight football game that the nation's attention will be focused on is going to go down? And we've arrived at a conclusion. Uh, the Once Upon a Saturday Tour... We'll be rolling up north to South Bend, Indiana, for Ohio State Notre Dame. This Saturday night, it's a primetime kickoff. Haven't seen either one of them this year. The only time I've ever been to Notre Dame Stadium was in 2017. I was working in local news in Columbus, Georgia. Georgia played up there in an out-of-conference game. And we set out at 4 a.m., and drove all the way from Columbus, Georgia to South Bend, Indiana, which is basically Canada as far as we were concerned. And then we get there a few hours before the game. We cover the game, can't afford a hotel. We turn it around and we come all the way back. And then I did a show the next night on No Sleep. And am I a hero? A little bit, yeah, I think so. And now, lo and behold, here we are years later, we get to go back up there looking very forward to this. So... Ohio State Notre Dame is one of the biggest games of the season. And we're going to talk a lot more about it this week. We'll predict the game Tuesday night, but just wanted to get that out there. It is official. Very difficult decision. There were, there were heated, heated debates this morning and arguments about where we should go, but we're headed to South Bend. Ohio State versus Notre Dame. Cannot wait for that one. Let's get back to yesterday, though. Some very wild takes on this next game. Sometimes, in fact, a lot of time, or a lot of times, when I'm on the road, games will be happening and I can't watch them live. But, you know, my phone's on, so I'll be getting feedback on games I haven't seen yet. 
And uh, for example, this is not the game we're about to talk about, but yesterday, our buddy Van Lathan texted me. He said, boy, we got some interesting things going on in Starkville. Well, to me, that means Mississippi State must be about to pull an upset over LSU. He's an LSU diehard LSU fan. And I opened the phone up, and it's 41-14. to So his version of interesting is just a splattering, for example. Well, with this next game, I had a lot of folks panicking, and I'll just let's just roll into it here. Georgia 24, South Carolina 14. I just saw this game so much different than everyone else. I got a bunch of feedback on it before I watched it. And on the flight home this morning, I watched it, and I thought it was a great day for Georgia. Not a great performance. Not all great days coincide with you playing your best ball. In fact, in a lot of cases, you play very subpar ball, and you find a way to win, and it ends up being a great thing for you because it ends up springboarding several intangible aspects of your program. And I think that's what happened with them yesterday. So South Carolina... To their immense credit, they just took the fight to Georgia early. And they out they out executed him early. I think um yeah, Rattler was eight for eight on his opening drive. They were more physical early, which is what surprised me the most, you know, given the struggles they had in week one. But it's obvious what they emphasized. It's obvious they had a really good plan. But Georgia goes into the half. And then this is what's beautiful about theater of the mind. Like, you've never seen Colin and Jesse before, so you have to just imagine what they must look like, what they must be like. Well, likewise, you can only imagine what Kirby Smart did in the locker room. Like, a lot of you picture him burning incense, possibly speaking in tongues, and doing all sorts of wizardry to get that team to come out in the second half and perform like they were supposed to. And in reality... It's just the way football works. I'm sure a few things were said. I'm sure a few tweaks were made. But by and large, you just when you've got better horses, you just got to let the horses run. And Georgia kind of let the horses run in the second half. Um, Might we look back at that second half, by the way, and think that that was Georgia's trigger moment? Because yesterday in the second half, you want some padlock stats. They outscored South Carolina 21-zip. They had a 290 to 129 yardage advantage, 15 to 7 first down advantage. They had nearly seven yards per play. They held South Carolina to 24 yards passing, picked them off twice, and outrushed them 119 to 25. That is a dissection in the second half of a football game that they looked woefully inadequate in in the first half. Last year means nothing. And I know you hear Kirby Smart say it all the time. And all these coaches who do big things one year, they have to just hammer it home all the time. But I don't think a lot of people believe it because of how many times I hear the word defending, Seb. Well, this is the defending SEC champ or national champ. They're not defending anything. Nothing about last year matters. In fact, a lot of times in college football, the better you did the year before, the more detrimental it can be to you in the next year because every opponent you have is fired up because of what you did last year, but yet you get no carryover effect. Georgia doesn't get an additional point or yard passing or yard rushing because they're back-to-back national champs. They got to go out and prove it. This team has to be this year's team. And yet everyone gives you their best shot. And like I always say, the sport doesn't sit still. So you're a four-touchdown favorite in this game. Doesn't matter. Once you, once you taste your own blood a little bit in the first half and you realize, well, South Carolina's not about to play the part they're supposed to play, apparently. 
are we going to play the part we're supposed to play? First half, no. Second half, overwhelming, yes. So I couldn't care less what they did the last two years. I've felt that this is a team with holes so far this year. I think most diehard Georgia fans who have watched them have noticed, uh, yeah, there's inadequacy on this team. Good thing we're in a year where there is no elite team out there apparently right now. And so the point is, you've got to find whatever your identity is for this year's team. That team that played in the second half yesterday, that was an identity. Like That's a team that looks like it knows what it's doing. And of course, can you bottle that up? Can you avoid starting slow the rest of the year? I don't know. That's why I ask it in question form. Is that second half something that we will look back on with Georgia a month from now? When they play Florida, for example, and we say, boy, this team's clicking on all cylinders. Now they just blew Florida out. I think that second half against South Carolina, that's really when the identity of this year's team was born. Or could we be looking at them a month from now, getting upset by Florida and saying, you know, we got fooled by that second half against South Carolina. We really should have paid attention to how long it even took them to get a double-digit lead on them. That was a, it was a red herring. It was a canary in the coal mine. I don't know. A lot of skill in saying those words, by the way. No matter how big the microphone is they put in your face, don't be afraid to just say, I don't know, sometimes. I've got a feeling that Georgia will be much better because of yesterday. That's my feeling. I've got a feeling that when they go to Auburn in a couple of weeks, could be interesting. Uh, they're, They're not in a situation right now where they're playing the kind of football where you just expect them to shred folks like maybe they have in the last couple of years. I don't think the ceiling of this team is as high as the last couple of years. That's fine. They could still win a title and not be as good as the last couple of years. They could go 10-2 and two this year. I don't know how that's going to turn out. But I do think yesterday, in the long run, was a good day for Georgia football, even though the Georgia football team played well short of what the standard there is. That was the way I saw that. I mean, my, my phone's going crazy with folks freaking out saying, man, we aren't going to make it nowhere near where we want to make it if we play like this. Well, you know what? Florida folks said the same thing, and two weeks later, there they are upset in Tennessee. And they don't even consider it an upset. It's football, man. It's, it's the way it works. They're watching us in Fruit Cove, Florida. Dallas, Texas, Bloomington, Illinois. Thank you guys so much. Make sure, tell five friends about the show. We don't do anything else here, you know. It's just college football year-round. And if you would subscribe to the channel, it would help us greatly. But most of you already have. We appreciate it. We got about 50% of our audience subscribed now. That means for every one of you that has done your due diligence and done your role, one of you hasn't. And I'm not going to shame you, although I think you should be ashamed. I'm not going to be the one who shames you. I'm going to let your conscience do that for me. We got some more games to talk about. I got a couple of best bets coming up. Uh, You know what? Believe it or not, I've still got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I still got eight games to talk about. It's just we'll do it a little more rapid fire. But I I cannot leave some of this unmentioned. Although I do want to keep a tradition alive. Hold on just a second. It's our, it's our mid-show chapstick reapplication. Not brought to you by anyone as of yet. LSU, speaking of dissection, LSU took Mississippi State apart yesterday. They disassembled them piece by piece. Complete mismatch. Was very wrong about this one. Expected a competitive game? Not so much. Padlock stat. Got one here. Padlock stat. Uh, Jaden Daniels, LSU quarterback. 30 of 34 for 361 yards, not even on Xbox, just in real life. Two touchdowns, had another two on the ground. This may be the best LSU looks all season. 
I, I shudder to think of what it would look like if they played better than this. I don't really know how that would happen. But, man, Malik Neighbors also went off. 13 catches in this game. This is a Devontae Smith stat line for him. 13 catches, 239, two touchdowns. That's the fourth highest receiving yardage total in LSU football history. The Florida State game was what it was. I guarantee you a bunch of folks watched this yesterday and said, well, this doesn't look like the same team that Florida State ran away from. It is the same team. It's just not the same version because you get 12 unique versions of a team in a given year and maybe more if you make a bowl or you make the playoff or whatever. The collective amnesia that sets in in this sport every year is amazing. I try not to suffer from it. Sometimes I do as well. You just We learn the same lessons every year, guys. A year is a long time. So maybe it just that 365 days, it's long enough to forget these lessons. But did anyone really, did anyone expect this team to be lifeless? I picked Mississippi State plus the points, not because I thought LSU would be lifeless. I thought Mississippi State would have a lot more life. Just had a bad, bad read on that team. I'll talk about them in a second. But LSU's drive chart is off the charts. It's a really good team. Mississippi State, um, this got taken apart, man. I, we're, we've got the game on right now outside our studio. They're replaying it, I think, on maybe SEC Network. And I was out there watching it beforehand again. I watched it early this morning, but I'm watching it again. They had 20 carries. Mississippi State, so they had a 52-yard run in the game. You take that long run out, the rest of their day on the ground was 20 carries for 42 yards. And they were dead set on the idea that they were just going to run the ball on LSU. And LSU was dead set on saying, not really. No, you won't. Oh, by the way, you'll trail by double digits the entire game, so run all you want to. But by the way, you still won't be able to run it. Also, there was a point in the first quarter, and this is really hard to fathom, but Mississippi State had 11 straight plays of either zero yards or less. You heard me right, kids. Zero was the best they did. 11 straight plays of either zero or negative yardage. Total identity crisis. I know what they want their identity to be. They can't win doing that. It's painfully obvious. And so it's just a team that's not ready right now. And it's a shame because I thought they may be. I really respect the level of experience they have on that team, but it doesn't matter. I mean, if it's not being put in the proper position, it doesn't really matter. They go to South Carolina and Bama. That's their next two games. But LSU, you know, same theme as we talked about with Florida. You lose a week one game against a really good opponent. And what does it mean? It means just what it means. Nothing more, nothing less. LSU could have scheduled North Texas, beat them by 30 in week one, and they'd be 3-0 and right now. They'd be the same team, but they'd be 3-0 and right now. And you'd be talking about them as a bona fide national title contender. See, that's the thing about early in the year. In the NFL, everyone played another professional team today. In college football, you got folks doing what Michigan's doing, and you got folks doing what LSU's done. So the difference is, I'm not taking a shot at Michigan. I'm just saying, even if Michigan's got half a dozen fatal flaws about that team, you would have no way to know it right now. LSU's flaws, the only difference is they just happened to get exposed early, so they got to work on correcting it earlier. Ditto with Florida. 
I'm not ever painting a loss as a great thing, but at least it lets you know what you have to work on. Wouldn't you rather find out that you got a leak in the ship in the harbor rather than 50 miles out offshore? Doesn't turn out well when you find out that late. I tried to make a sailing joke, but I mean, I really got nothing. Good Christopher Cross song, but I got nothing in the form of uh, what we would call seamanship humor. Yes. Let's move on. Several added takeaways. Uh, you can make of these what you will. I, I watched as many of these as I could. I think the JP poll has a Washington problem. Okay, we started Washington, I think, number 20, and now they've, they've moved all the way up inside the, the 10 to 15 range. I can't remember exactly where they were. Anyway, they're too low. The, I'm, and this is me talking to the model. Hold on a second. You got Washington too low. If you're listening on podcast, excuse me. This is just me talking to the model for a second. Um, I, I think they look really good. They, um, they, they did some bad stuff to Michigan State yesterday. They did what elite teams do. So there was zero hope at any point. It was just a total kill shot right between the eyes immediately. Left no oxygen in the room. I know that's vivid, but it was very graphic. This was a TVMA special. 35 to nothing. Not for the game. That was the first half. Uh, a 409 to 146 yards advantage. Not in the game. In the first half. Penix had 375 through the air in the first half. They had over 700 total yards on the road against Michigan State. So I don't know what the JP poll is going to do with Washington this week. But so help me, if they're not in the top 10, I will do what I swore to you I will never do. I will manually override that thing. I will stand for it no longer. As Pac-12 Pate, it is my duty to do such things. Next up. Oh, Arkansas. Oh, Arkansas. I weep for you. Brigham Young come in there and uh, comes in there. <laughs> come in there. They come in there. And they beat them 38 to 31. The offensive line is bad. It's bad to quite bad in Fayetteville right now. And it's a shame because you have like a story of the year caliber team in a year where the SEC West is all kinds of topsy-turvy. And it's... It's behind a woefully inept offensive line right now. And so it won't be. They won't be able to capitalize. 424 yards to 281 yards. That's how badly they outgained BYU yesterday. Didn't matter. Didn't matter. 14 penalties for over 120 yards. Just didn't matter. Just I'm not going to say they gave the game away. Uh, you got to have an opponent take it from you. But... They lost yesterday, a game that I was certain they would win. The, the point spread was low, uh, but I thought Arkansas would win this thing. They just flat out didn't. Uh, not a good time up there right now. And they've got a stretch. I, I recommend, you can tell I watched Biddy's walk and talk because I just repeated a lot of what he said. Trey Biddy, even if you're not an Arkansas fan, just go check out Trey Biddy's walk and talks on YouTube after Arkansas games. Now, if you're an Arkansas fan, you should check him out all the time. But if you're just a sadistic, agnostic, non-Arkansas fan who loves to watch people in misery and you revel in it, I can't change your heart. Got a black heart, but I can entertain you. Go watch Biddy's Walking Talks when they lose. And if you really want added entertainment, go back in history and watch like the North Texas loss from several years ago. 
I do it sometimes just for amusement. Florida State beat Boston College 31 to 29 yesterday. This was close, really close. BC was a penalty away from maybe winning this thing at the end. FSU was one of nine on third down, but that's not a padlock stat. Boston College, plus one turnovers, but that's not a padlock stat. Uh, Boston College was eight of 19 on third down and four of five on fourth down, but none of those are padlock stats. And do you know why? Because this is the padlock stat. 18 penalties for 131 yards? We can't have that. Hurricane in the area or not, we can't have that if we're Boston College. And so FSU survived. I'll say the same thing I said about Georgia. This is the last thing in the world Mike Norvell wanted to have happen. But once it happens and you make sure you win the game, it can be one of the best things to happen. Seasons are so long. They're so long. FSU had that big win in week one. And people treat it like a coronation and they treat it like you've arrived and you celebrate like it's a playoff win. And you don't realize we got 11 more of these things to go. And what Florida State's about to learn is how, how far you have to stretch it, like how much gas you have to have in the tank to be a legitimate championship contending team. There, it's hard, but it's possible to be one at the end of October. November is like nine weeks long. And they're already starting to find out. You, you can't just roll your helmet out and win games. It does not work that way. Once folks get a whiff that you're starting to elevate, you get everyone's best shot. They got Boston College's best shot. Uh, that's not the last time it'll happen this year. And you'll be favored every week. And it won't matter once the game starts. And they dealt with it yesterday. They found a way to win. So hats off to them. Do they learn from it? That's the unanswerable question right now. You want some sadness. Colin, I know you and I talked the other day about, about getting that music queued up. I don't know if you ever did that, but man, if we did, this would be the time for it. I have in my hand a piece of paper that has some information on it that even though I wrote it myself, I am convinced is a typo. And it is the Arizona State drive chart yesterday. This is the most Sarah McLaughlin special of all Sarah McLaughlin specials. Arizona State yesterday against Fresno State was shut out 29 to nothing. This is how it happened. Interception, fumble, fumble, turnover on downs, interception, halftime. Third quarter starts. Punt, interception, fumble, punt, interception, Punt, interception, end of game. Arizona State, over the course of a four-quarter afternoon, was minus eight in turnovers. And that, friends, is how you get shut out 29 to nothing. And that is what we call a Sarah McLaughlin special. Congratulations, you guys play USC this week. I couldn't believe it. I still can't believe it. Brutal. And as brutal as that is... I didn't pick Arizona State to play for a conference championship, but I did pick this next team to play for a conference championship, and that would be your Oklahoma State Cowboys, at least my Oklahoma State Cowboys. Oh, I didn't talk about it. No, save, save Texas-Wyoming for a little bit. You know what? Colin, keep rolling it. Keep rolling it. I'll talk about Texas-Wyoming. I do need to build myself up to that Oklahoma State game. Texas beat Wyoming 31-10. to 10. Uh, 316 yards for Texas. 
Sark said afterwards, it's actually a compliment to us that teams are playing different personnel packages and different fronts and different defenses than we see on tape because that means they're saving stuff for us. And that is true. And you know what? I'm not even going to knock them. What has been the biggest problem with Texas football under Steve Sarkeesian? Second halves and finishing. They scored 21 in the fourth quarter last week against Bama. And they scored 21 this week against Wyoming. They scored 21 again this week against insert opponent. And uh, you can focus on the fact that it's Wyoming if you want to. Hey, at least they're dominating fourth quarters. At least they're finding ways to pull away. And Wyoming's not a bad team, by the way. They already beat Texas Tech. So it's time for conference play now. It's time for Texas to dive into conference play. Uh, This game, classic was what it was situation. Survive, move on, you're good. All right, can we talk about Oklahoma State now? I'd prefer we didn't, honestly. But unfortunately, Colin does have the graphic. All right, here we go. So, in a moment of vulnerability earlier in the year, I picked Oklahoma State to play for the Big 12 championship. Not win it, but play for it. Now, in fairness to me, I was right. And they're undefeated in conference play, mainly leaning on the fact that they haven't played a conference game yet. I was right. Just a reminder to the audience, I know some of you are new. I have never been wrong on a prediction. Ever got a sparkling record going, but sometimes kids or coaches or officials screw it up, and what's supposed to happen doesn't end up happening. And it's a perfect example right now. Oklahoma State has some coaches and kids screwing my prediction up, and I'll give you the the bloody bloody details right here. So yesterday, they got outgained by South Alabama. Yes the Jaguars of South Alabama, 397 to 208. They barely eclipsed 100 yards passing. This piece of paper, with all of its folds and wrinkles, is still in infinitely better shape than Oklahoma State's offense right now. Uh, They rotated three quarterbacks. They rotated multiple offensive line combinations. They were 4 of 15 on third downs. They lost. They, They got woodshedded by South Alabama. And there's really no hope in sight right now. But I am going to maintain the following point because it's highlighted. It's highlighted on my sheet. This was not a conference game. So my prediction is alive and well. Excuse me. My prediction is alive. And that's where the period goes at the end of that sentence. Next up, the Fighting Jessies of Penn State went on the road and they beat Illinois. And The Jessies of the world were a little unhappy with this. And need I remind you people, you Jessies out there, that this team came in your building and beat you a couple of years ago in one of the ugliest football games in the modern era. And it's an interesting perspective that I think I am blessed to have on this. Because you had drops yesterday, if you're Penn State, you had seven penalties for 70 yards. You had missed opportunities all over the place. The offense was ugly. Singleton and Allen combined for under four yards per carry. Allard didn't look great by any stretch at quarterback. And you won 30-13 to 13 in a Big Ten game. You kind of got a little margin on them. And I don't really care how it happened. My point is Penn State teams in the past lose that game. And uh, you gave yourself a little margin for error there. So good for Penn State. Terrible looking game. Good for them. They got the whiteout this week. They got, oh, they got Iowa. Yeah, Iowa coming in to town. 
No, Michigan will not be the whiteout game because it's too late in the year. I didn't get to watch much of that game. I, it's on my to-do list for later tonight. But I did task Jesse with watching it, and then I had to proceed to talk him off the ledge the entire afternoon. So, yeah, um, far worse things could have happened. When you had all those little bullet points go against you, far worse things could happen. I think that Penn State folks are watching their team right now, knowing what held them back last year. One of those things, specifically against Michigan, was the run defense. And there are different opinions in the room as to how far that specific facet of the team has come. But you know what? The Michigan game's not next week. You got Iowa next week. Ramen Noodle Express got victimized by Iowa yesterday. Iowa and Ole Miss did some very unnecessary things at the end of their games yesterday. And um, it took us from having a winning day to having a losing day. Now, we're still 56% on the year. We're, we're fine. We have made money. No one is going hungry tonight if they have followed our plays. But I, I don't know. We're, we'll be better. We'll be better for that. I am on two games already. There's a lot of value on the board this week. Had over 1,000 of you watch Friday Night Lions Friday night. And uh, trust me, I had a busy travel day Friday. So the fact that I even got to Missouri and got up before midnight to even get the broadcast up uh, spoke volumes about my dedication to Friday Night Lions. Again, the entire ethos of this show is I just want a lot of credit with minimal blame. That's all I want. And so we've got two games we're already on tonight, and uh, we will add on to this throughout the week. Middle Tennessee State plays Colorado State. Colorado State, uh, most famously, was in overtime last night against Colorado. That's, that's a sound of a deflated team. So they're coming to Murfreesboro. You don't just walk into Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and beat, beat Coach Stock still in company. And so we're taking Middle Tennessee State minus two. That's our first best bet of the week. And big-time game out on the West Coast. Oregon State, minus two and a half, going to Pullman to face Washington State. We're taking the Beavs. We think that one will probably approach three. But even if it doesn't, we're okay. We think we'll cover there. So Middle Tennessee State, minus two. Oregon State, minus two and a half. Whew. I missed a flight yesterday, so I had to fly home this morning. No sleep, but you know what? Sunday night shows, doesn't matter how much caffeine you got to pump into yourself. We got a good hour, eight minutes out of this tonight. And this week is loaded. This upcoming week is jam-packed loaded. We're going to Notre Dame for Ohio State and Notre Dame, but there are so many marquee games. The Tuesday night show is when we do all the predictions. We got a brand new JP poll Tuesday night. And I can promise you significant movement because here you see me and the model side by side. Yes, I stream myself on the show. Uh, if the model doesn't do its job, I will do the job for it. Because I, I'm like I'm like Billy Bob Thornton in Armageddon. I'm in NASA Mission Control. And if they're not doing the job in outer space to my liking, I just manually override it. I can take over. I can do it right here from Earth or a studio. So I appreciate you guys watching. For Director Colin, Producer Jesse, I'm Josh Pate. Take care. Have a great start to your week. And God bless. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. 
So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. <laughs> Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.